Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Preseason, baby. It is here. We are so pumped. I need to apologize first to all of Goldcast Nation. We have been gone for 12 days. This is not by choice. Unfortunately, your humble host, Rudy III, has a new job and an impending commercial coming up. And so my schedule has been pretty crazy, but it will be calming down very soon here. A couple more weeks of it kind of being in and out, and then we are full on. Trust me, once we get towards the end of August and into September, we will be back on our regular, regularly scheduled program. Now, Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast and you can also follow us on twitter at the underscore goldcast and you and you can also subscribe to us via itunes youtube and stitcher all under the same moniker of the goldcast the goldcast hell yeah all right so here we go we are going to get into game one of preseason so pumped it was so exciting to see the team back lots to get into we're going to talk about it after the intro, but of course, guess what, people? Your professor of fanalism has arrived. The greatest fanalist in the game is here. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom. Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisse III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Solis the First, baby. Boom. Okay, Raymond, here we go. Preseason game one. In the books. In the books, baby. Oh, here we go. Oh, God, this is my favorite time of the year. This is the best time for the Gold Cast. This is the when our fans are the most engaged is during the NFL season. As some of you may remember, because there are some people that have been here since day one, many moons ago, this was called the 49ers Goldcast. And then we expanded to include all the teams, and we decided that calling it the 49ers Goldcast didn't really embody the entire city. So now we're just the Goldcast. So Raymond, we have four takeaways from preseason game one. We have two positive and we have two negative. So we're going to start with the first positive takeaway that we got. And it's going to be the defensive line. So why don't you, greatest fanalists in the game, break down for the people, for you, Goldcast Nation. We're going to break down for you what we saw. Raymond, tell them, what did you see at defensive line? And why is this a positive for the Goldcast? Well, for one, Kyle Shanahan pretty much sat almost the entire starting roster with the exception of our rookie wide receivers. And, and that's about it as far as I can recall, (laughs) but, but the defense that included most of the defense with the exception of, I think, you know, Akella Witherspoon was out there, you know, and I think he, he and Marcel Harris are going to kind of trade places with, uh, be kind of rotating in and out with Jason Verrett, you know, assume, you know, unless Jason Verrett is able to recover, although it looks like his body's, you know, having a little bit of bumps getting fully 
healed and that's natural because the nature of his injury is very difficult to come back to uh Jarek mckinnon is seeing a little some of that bump too you know and i know that richard sherman's on a different level psychologically so he's a little he's one of those exceptions agent peterson's another one of those exceptions but nonetheless rant aside um, we mostly saw backups and the depth but the reason why it stood out to me as a positive was because in the first series we were up against Dallas's uh, first string starters with the exception of Ezekiel Elliott, who's holding out for more money. Good luck with that. And there was a lot, this is again, I get, I know it's preseason, so you, you do have to take it with a grain of salt, but the fact that if you do well in the preseason, it is a good thing. If you do shitty in the preseason, it's really, really bad. Because in the preseason, you're playing against backups, second string, and third string. Or, I'm sorry, third string and fourth string. And then guys trying to make the roster from the 90-man squad. So there's a lot. So if you do bad in the preseason, like it really doesn't reflect well on you know your development as a player. Especially if you're a high pick and you're struggling against backup third and fourth stringers. So, But in this case, we're going up against what is arguably one of the best offensive lines in the entire NFL. And we held them, they didn't, A, they didn't score a touchdown all day, but they didn't score a touchdown in the opening drive. They got a field goal, but we held them to that field goal. And so there was a lot of, there was good pressure. There was some TFLs. You know, I know uh, our rookie, uh, Keandre Greenlaw, he was, he led the team, he tied for most tackles uh, on the day with Marcel Harris. He also had a TFL. I thought that was great. Contavious Street had a couple of TFLs. That was great. So, Leroy Reynolds had a sack. Um, Jeremiah Volaga had two sacks. You know, these were later in the game. But, you know, the fact is it was productive. You know, there was also a fumble in this game. There was six passes deflected. So the, def- the defensive backs played well. You know, if you're getting good pressure, that takes a lot of, obviously, for those of you that study the game, that obviously takes a lot of pressure off of your secondary. So the fact that they were getting consistent pressure and which also led to some sacks and also some TFLs to slow down the running game and really make them one-dimensional, force them into throwing positions when when they're not really trying to do that. Um, it really kind of led to a really balanced defensive attack. And that was great because our defensive line, you know, our, we know what our starters are capable of. We know what the potential is for some of those players. And we know what we're getting out of some of those players in, you know, i.e. D4, DeForest Buckner. So... You know, to see the second group come in and do as well as they did, albeit preseason, was a positive takeaway. I don't know if you saw the same thing. So I agree. Why is this important? Well, the reason this is important and why we take this away as a positive is because, as we know, injuries loom. They loom, and actually, we're going to talk about a little bit later on in this episode about a negative and the lack of depth. And what this shows to me is that there truly is depth, and John Lynch has done his job. We're going to need players to be able to come in, fill in for subs, put in quality downs here and there. And the fact that this unit played as well as they did also gets me really excited for when we see the starting unit. Because if this is what the backups are doing, again, albeit preseason, the fact that they could hold their own, as you said, against one of the, the, the best offensive lines in the league shows that we are finally building some depth at a position that has been greatly lacking in the last several years. I think John Lynch, it was clear that he made it his mission that he was going to address this, and I think they've done a great job, and I think this showing of the backups 
is the start of that. So we are in agreement there, Raymond M. 100%. So let's talk about let's talk about our first negative. Our first negative. And that would be O-line concerns. So now we were just talking about depth at defensive at the defensive line. The offensive line seems to be a little thin. So let's talk about that. Why is this a negative for the Goldcast? So the first thing I want to point out is that our tackle position is solid. You know, even though Joe Staley is in the twilight of his career, he's still an extremely good player. You know, he's not a six-time Pro Bowler for nothing. He's still got great experience. And we also have Mike McGlinchey, who's doing great. And he's really coming, he's coming along. He's, he's, he's giving credibility to John Lynch's ability to, to seek out talent. So that's good that that's working out. You know, offensively, John Lynch has done very well between George Kittle and Mike McGlinchey. You know, Trent Taylor has potential, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll mention that a little bit later. But we lost Sean Coleman for the year, who was a backup swing tackle. He fractured his fibula and dislocated his ankle. If you actually saw that play, it was actually kind of nasty. If you look closely at his leg, it does looks like looks like his ankle does pop out. And, it was bad. Uh, it, it was, was pretty bad. bad. It yeah. Was, so yeah, again, this is what happens when you're in a play and unbeknownst to you, you're trying to, you know, block or, you know, if you're on defense, you're trying to shed, shed a, shed a block to get to, to get to pressure, you know, a, a 300 pound guy or 280 pound guy falls on the back of your leg. It is very extreme. It is an extremely dangerous position to be in as a player. And as we saw, Sean Coleman is gone. This is what exactly what happened to Nick Bosa, and he just came out with a high ankle sprain. So thank God, because this is one of those freak plays that happens on a fairly regular basis. But it's it's football. Bodies are destined by default to fall on top of one another. So when they happen. When they happen like this, where it's 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 very unscripted and, and happenstance, and it's on your blind side, this is one of the results, unfortunately. And a lot of players succumb to injuries like this, especially when these big guys fall on top of them. So Sean Coleman's gone for the year. We have our first IR victim of the 2019 season. You know, by the way, every single team in the NFL puts players on the IR. There is no chance of us not putting players on the IR. If that didn't happen, that would be a very unique anomaly. But nonetheless, we lost our players. So, I mean, on the positive, we did sign Sam Young. Sam Young is a little bit older. He is 32 years old. He comes from the Miami Dolphins. And Coleman Coleman has already had surgery, and so now he's on IR, now he's recovering. So, but now we have uh Young who's got has a lot of experience. We need to replace that swing tackle immediately, so he was visiting with the Saints and the Jets and the Bills earlier this offseason, and he was a former six-round pick uh, of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, coincidentally, in 2010. And he started 21 of 88 games, and he played. Uh, he started 21 of 88 games over the course of his career. So he started some, started not. So I mean, he's kind of, kind of has the the right profile to, kind of fill the void that we. Uh, Unfortunately, we're dealt in last uh, this this past week's game. Yeah, and so basically, the problem with this Ray is that it just leaves very little margin for injury for the O line. Whereas we have depth at the, at the defensive line. We were just talking about that. How you know we need player we need players that are going to be able that are competent and capable of putting in quality downs. Now, with this thinning at the O line, 
it isn't that way. And this is already uh, this is already a group that was very susceptible, especially at guards for for sacks. This is already a group that has been susceptible and has had this issue for the last three straight years. So to so to have our depth go down and have one of our guys go down in such a fashion is definitely concerning. And the quick release of Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be more important than ever coming into this coming into this next season because. Th- I'm, you know, we. I don't have a lot of confidence beyond our tackles, in the, in the full ability of this O line, and this does make yeah, me our, nervous. Yeah, yeah, our guards, our guards are okay. Like in Tomlinson, I mean, he's been relative. He's been pretty. He started six. He played sixteen games last year. He started sixteen games last year, but he wasn't, you know, wasn't a runaway top tier guard. You know, it's kind of middle of the road guard. You know, our other guard is okay. You know, we know our our center our veteran center he's recovering from injury too right now you know so i feel like the 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 middle of the line is really where where our susceptibility is our vulnerability is so it's between our center who's aging and our young guards who are you know a little not as consistent as our tackles so if health and consistency can kind of get better between those three players, then, you know, I think we're going to be okay. But considering that, yeah, like Jimmy Garoppolo, thank God he's got a quick release because there's going to be times when that part of the line is really going to fall apart. So we're really going to, you know, and, and we can't have running backs sitting back there blocking every play. So we need George Kittle out there catching the ball. We need Tevin Coleman out there running or catching. We need Matt Breida doing the same thing. So, and I really think that that's going to be our one-two punch this year. I don't think Jared McKinnon is going to, I, I think he's. I think he's going to struggle getting back to to full form. But um, I think so too. Yeah, we'll, we're going to address that at the end. We're going to address right. That I, I I'll, I'll digress from that for now. But for now, that's what we saw. So we lost one of our backups. We did fill the void rather quickly. But you know, it's it's the the problem is that it's we just lost some depth that knew the playbook in a very complicated system at a position that's already a little vulnerable. Exactly. Let's talk about our other negative, Raymond, and that was the penalties. My God, there were so many penalties, and this kind of plays into the last negative. So why don't you tell the Goldcast Nation, we're going to tell you guys our second negative takeaway, the penalties, and why this is a big deal. Gosh, you know, a lot of these came from players that, you know, are either ultimately not going to make the roster or serve a backup role. But you still don't want to ever, ever see 18 penalties for 216 yards. That's ridiculous. That's, you know, equivalent to an opponent's, you know, offensive output for an entire game, you know, just handed to the other team via, you know, via undisciplined play. So Dallas only had five comparatively. So that's something that needs to get shored up real quick, you know, because I know that we're going to still probably sit most of our starters. I think Jimmy is going to get a series in this game. He might get a series. I think that I think that's what's coming. I think that's what he expected. Is. So Shanahan announced that on the on the the, the post uh, the post conference after after the yeah, first game. So so we're going to start to see a little bit more starters uh, unless they're recovering. You know, we know we're not going to see Nick Bosa, which is unfortunate, but um, at least he's going to make it, you know, for the regular season most likely. But yeah, 18 penalties, horrible, horrible, horrible. I know we had discipline problems last year with the starting rotation. 
let alone you know backups third stringers so 18 was just horrible i'm sure that that had to have been the worst uh the worst you know showing for penalties uh, out of the entire league i don't think anybody well, and, gave up more penalties than us and it also showed a lot of it coming from the o-line and and obviously clearly having an inability to really stop the defensive line of the cowboys and that again kind of shows the lack of depth that we have at o-line this kind of this is where they bleed into each other you know, this is part of the problem. Yeah, and it was a lot of holding penalties. Um, there was a couple pass interference calls, you know, and that led to pressure. You know, I know there wasn't like Dallas. I mean, for the record, Dallas only had one sack and three TFLs. But, you know, the pressure that they were able to get out there, you know, I think it led to some bad plays. Although there was one, the interception that CJ Beathard threw, he tried to look off the safety. He didn't do a good job of doing that and then just threw it right to him. That was more CJ's fault than, than any, anything Dallas was able to generate pressure wise. But, you know, that's, uh, that's just kind of where we're at right now. So a little, that's why we, that's why we kind of raised an eyebrow at the offensive line because a, we lost a player B, we saw a lot of, you know, desperate, you know, maneuvers being made that led to penalties because guys were getting beat. So, well, I, I'm sure things are going to shore up. It's the first time for a lot of these players at, at NFL speed. So, and these aren't our starters. So that's something to also consider. So uh, uh, first string group is going to pay significantly better. Yeah, so take it with a grain of salt, of course. Always, everything right now we take with a grain of salt. All right, so our final positive, our final positive takeaway, were those young buck wide receivers. Let's talk about that, Raymond. Why is this the final positive for the Goldcast Nation? Well, because this is a position group that hasn't really no one's really come out and solidified themselves as the number one receiver, which is kind of good and bad. It means that everyone's kind of a little even, but at the same time, you, you know, NFL teams, the, the best teams in the league typically have a very dominant receiver in one form or another, you know, for the Raiders, it's Antonio Brown via trade for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Juju Smith Schuster. Who's, who's emerged as a number one, you know, and so, you know, and Odell Beckham Jr. over in Cleveland. So you, you know, and there's 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 quite a few more on other teams. You know, Houston has a great receiver. Uh, you have uh, Julio Jones for Atlanta. All these teams have these guys. All the top 10 teams, the playoff teams have one of these guys. So we haven't had that emerge yet but we did see Jalen Hurd he got two touchdowns they were great there was the one perfect one early in the fourth quarter CJ Beathard um, off the back shoulder threw it up it was actually a perfect throw and a perfect catch it looked very easy and smooth which is what you want and then the one from Nick Mullins uh, within the five where he muscled his way in there that was a great second effort to get that touchdown you really want he's 6'3 230 pounds so you want it he needs to win those kinds of matchups he's the type of receiver that will win those matchups against you know smaller corners and so that was great to see Debo Samuel caught two two passes for 61 yards he was targeted four times Jalen Hurd was also targeted five times but Debo Samuel the really one that stood out was the deep pass 
um, on the left by C.J. Beathard. He understood it a little bit, but Debo Samuel slowed down, adjusted, and then jumped up to grab it. So I liked to see, I like that aggressive maneuver to kind of go up and get the ball. So even when your quarterback doesn't make the perfect throw, you adjust to that and make the play happen anyways. And so that was good to see with Debo Samuel. So I really want to see these guys kind of really build off of that momentum because even though we saw those positives from those players, Kyle Shanahan was still very critical and said, hey, they had those good penalties. But And I think that's Kyle Shanahan is you know kind of playing double-edged sword here. He wants them to be to feel good about their productivity, but he also wants them to stay hungry. And so I think there's a little yeah, bit of psych- so psychological too. coaching going on with him kind of downplaying, you know, not praising them to high heaven like like the press and like a lot of fans did. And him just saying like, hey, they got to keep they, – they weren't perfect though, you know, and he's like, and, and sure, you know, that's – and he's not even just talking about, you know, catching the ball. There's also blocking on running plays. There's um, – there's uh, what you call it, uh, special teams – the, the, all, there's all kinds of elements that these guys are going to be thrown into um, returns. You know, uh, Dante Pettis was out there for a little bit. He was targeted once, but you know, he didn't catch anything. So he needs to, and, and I'd like, I want to see Dante Pettis really kind of get more attempts at kick returns because that was really his specialty in college. He set the NCAA record for returns, you know, with nine. Um, so wow. considering that was, you know, his, uh, a big, a big skill set of his because of his speed. I think you need to give this guy more opportunities to really kind of continue to build off of what he was able to do in college. In addition to being, you know, a, a speedy deep threat. So, um, so yeah, that's what I saw out of the wide receiver group. It was good. Kyle Shanahan said it wasn't perfect. So let's see how they do in game two. Yeah, let's definitely see. As you mentioned before, this, you know, as you address at the very beginning, this is the one area that I'm most concerned with because of exactly what you addressed. There's no veteran leadership. We can, we, we can point to a veteran at every position on the 49ers. Tevin Coleman in the backfield, Staley at the line, D. Ford on the defensive line, Richard Sherman with the secondary. We can point to somebody at every position that has more, multiple players except for wide receiver Marquise Goodwin I he is not I do not consider him a, a veteran you know I mean he's obviously played for several years but he's streaky everyone else I just mentioned everyone else I just mentioned has either played in a conference championship or in a Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl so they've played and have performed at the highest levels so that that's what we're talking about here and so we don't have that position at wide receiver so I'm very that makes me very nervous there isn't a guy we can hang our hat on. Pierre Garçon was supposed to be that player, and that's what last year was supposed to be kind of the beginning of is maybe the Anquan Bolden, if you will, of this new era. But that clearly did not happen, and now he's gone. So we really don't have anybody. And these rooks, I mean, this could be the new rookie sensation. You know, the Saints a couple years ago, they had those two rookie sensation cornerbacks, and this is a possibility that we can have it at the posi- at wide receiver position here in San Francisco. So it is a position I'm very interested in. A little nervous and intimidated by, or I should say just nervous by, not intimidated by, but nervous by. So let's see. Good, good, good showing. Not perfect, as Shanahan said, but a good showing. Yeah, and I, I think if they, you know, if they're able to, if they have a, a similar game like they did today or yesterday as they did in da- on Saturday, as they did in 
as they as they if they have a similar performance in Denver as they did in in Santa Clara on Saturday against Dallas, then that will also be a positive, even if it's you know more or less the same productivity, because that's a sign of consistency. And Debo Samuel, he also got uh, was handed the ball off on a reverse and got 14 yards out of it. So, you know, showing some versatility there in the run game as well. So Debo not only caught passes, but he also ran the ball effectively, even though it was just one touch. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So I have one question for you, Raymond, and it was touching on something you were discussing a little bit earlier. Will we ever see Jason Verrett and Jarek McKinnon, will we ever see them actually play in a 49er uniform? At all. I'm, I'm saying at all. I think... Or, or are the, these guys going to be red-shirted for their, for their entire career and then we're... Like, it's going to be like a Tank Carradine situation and they're going to be gone. Well, I, I think, if anything, they'll be available in some, some form for the first quarter of the season so they're gonna have some play we're gonna see them within the first four games of the season but considering the nature again the nature of their injury is very significant it's not something to be overlooked and there's a reason why this kind of injury ends careers you know remember kendall hunt kendall hunter in the jim harbaugh era he had yeah. two, he had two of those and never came back from that and and he was on his way to being a solid number two back he had good speed. He was a great complement to Gore. Different style, so it was a very nice one-two punch. And unfortunately, got derailed by a couple of tears and was able, never able to recover. So again, Adrian Peterson is an exception to that. Richard Sherman, who worked, who had both of his ACLs worked on, is an exception to that. So those are the types of guys that just have a different mental capacity for performance level, which is why, you know, they're, there's, they're, well, they're, it's all, they're it could also, it could also be, it could also be rehab who they're rehabbing with. Maybe they make that pit stop at Germany, get that illegal surgery. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a huge part of it too, is like, are you being consistent with your rehab with what the trainers are telling you to do day in and day out? You know, not a lot of people are not, not all players are, good about that kind of stuff too so i know richard sherman is that's that's very obvious even though he wasn't 100 percent last year he still played good so and now he's uh, now he's 100 percent. so we're gonna see the old richard sherman and i believe in him you know he's he's not somebody that he typically backs up all that shit talking he does he's very very similar to Deion sanders in that regard Deion sanders talked a lot of shit but he backed it up majority of the time and richard sherman's in that same category so you know, but I think we're going to see them probably between, we'll see them between week one and week four, but I don't have a lot of confidence that they'll last past that point just because of the nature of the injury and how difficult it is to get back. And we're already seeing them showing signs of, you know, that they're not able to cut when the second they got out there, you know, I mean, a sprained ankle, you know, that might have something to do with it might just have been a wrong step. You know, you're not, you're not, he hasn't played in a long time. Jason Verrett has, so his body's not, you know, it has to reacclimate to that speed, those cuts, all, you know, the muscle, the muscle atrophy is there. So that's part of it. It's not that he's injured prone or anything like that. It's just a, the muscle has to get back into that, that, 
that mode of memory where it's able to do that and has to build back up to allow him to make those maneuvers. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't treat his body carefully while trying to get back to 100%, he could overexert himself by trying to play at his previous level, but his muscles, his muscle and twitch reactions are not there and he'll get injured like he did, you know, with the sprained ankle. And as far as McKinnon is concerned, you know, that's the same thing. You've got muscle atrophy there. You've got to build back to your 100% speed. You can't just go back out there and go 100 miles an hour just like you did before the injury. You literally, you do have to work back into it. So, and if you don't do it right, there are going to be setbacks like soreness in his knee, which is what he experienced when he went out there. And so now he has to kind of take it slow and they're, they're being cautious with him because, you know, they're, they're way more sensitive about injury, you know, than ever before. So, you know, they're doing the right thing and allowing them to rest and recover. But at the same time, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for them to get back to a hundred percent. And they're, both of them are not a hundred percent right now. And I'm just concerned that, when they get out there and try to try to push a hundred percent that it's going to lead to further injury and it's going to keep them out of the game. And I, to me, I see them max four games. I am 1000% on board with you. Maximum four games. I don't, I actually don't think we're ever going to see McKinnon personally. Verrett we'll see for maybe two, three or four games. And that's about it. And I would love to I be want, wrong. I would love yeah. to be wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying yes. this. I take no pleasure in, in making that prediction. 100%. I'm with you. 100%. I We take no pleasure in this, but I am with you. I completely agree. All right. So the next game is this Monday, August 19th, 5 p.m. on ESPN, San Francisco 49ers at the Denver Broncos, preseason game two, and the first start of Jimmy G since week three of last year yes jimmy g jimmy the g garoppolo gay gucci gay is back he is here (laughs) (laughs) so that means we're gonna see the starters i I would really love to see tevin coleman out there i'd really love to see matt breda get one or two touches in that first series i mean it's one series so i think we're gonna see maybe two three passes and or you know, two passes, two run plays, you know, it might be split depends. I don't know what Shanahan plans, you know, as far as touches are concerned, but either way, um, I want to see either Tevin Coleman and, or Breda get involved as well. If, if you're going to have Jimmy out there with the starting offensive line rotation, then I imagine he's also going to throw one of our one, two punch backs in there too. I agree. I think so too. You're obviously not going to put you're not, you know, you're just not gonna put Jimmy G on right, with it, which means we're, we're gonna, weapons. yeah, exactly, which means we're gonna see Kittle. Depot Samuel's gonna be out there. Um, we know that Chen Taylor is gone for four to six weeks because he got injured again, and um, so you know he's starting to. I, I know he his his previous injury was much more significant than this past injury, but it's still not. It's not a good sign for him to come away with a fracture, a stress fracture from Thursday's game, you know, and part of it is because he's a small dude. He's a really small dude. He's smaller than Wes Welker. So wow, really? And, and, yeah. He is a little bit smaller than Wes Welker. Wes Welker was bigger, not by much, wow. but I mean, Trent Taylor is a small dude. He's, he's really small, you know, and I know that people like this short little speedy slot receivers like that, you know, and, uh, you know, Tyree kills really small. Um, but, it's um you know it's 
now he's gone. Now he's going to miss, you know, week one, week two. So again, you know, even though he was, he's a leading slot receiver coming out of training camp, and now he's got another setback with this uh, stress fracture. So um, hopefully he gets, that's not, you know, hopefully the injuries kind of stops at that point and allows him to kind of pick up where he left off in his rookie season, which was very promising because that's really the whole reason why he was drafted. I, I think he's a talented guy and he's obviously got a terrific coach that knows his position like the back of his hand. And so, you know, I really want to see him take over. Otherwise, you know, someone else has got to play that position because, you know, we have a lot of guys, Kendrick Bourne, Jordan Matthew. There's, I mean, they're not necessarily slop, but I mean, those are guys that, you know, are going to see, going to have to rotate in and out. You know, Debo Samuel, probably I would see him in the slot, even though he's playing wide out. Dante Pettis, another one that could do that. So, but I mean, these are guys that are trying to, those three players are all competing for the number one wide receiver spot, number one and number two. So, but we'll, we'll just have to see. Yep, we will. They got a joint practice on Saturday and and then Monday. They're off on Sunday, so then Monday. Any final thoughts, Ray, before we wrap it up? I hope Jimmy G scores a touchdown via pass. Not me. Not running. Too. <laughs> not, not running for his life. <laughs> no, no, he's not Steve Young. <laughs> or, or or Kaepernick. Yes, or Joe Montana. You know, he doesn't seem to have the scrambling ability of any of those three quarterbacks, to be honest. And Jeff Garcia too. Jeff Garcia was a big scrambler, um, so he's he's way he's much more. I mean, he sat behind Tom Brady for three years, and Tom Brady never runs, so he's got that sit back, take the hit, make the throw mentality. Yeah. Well, how are we going to know when uh, he's never played a full season yet? Yeah. Oh, it's true. I know. Yeah. All right. Raymond, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Ray Solis One. You can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis Three R D and Twitter at Rudy Solis Three. I'm active right? on both. Yeah, I, yes, that is yours. I'm active. No, on no, both. no, no. Inst- oh. Instagram is Rudy Solis Three. And Twitter is Rudy Solis 3RD. I don't know. It'll be in the, if you go into the synopsis of this podcast, it'll be right there. Yes, it'll be right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm active on both. But as far as like sports stuff, you know, I tend to, uh, most of all of those, the press and the players are all on Twitter. So that's usually where I spend a lot of time reading or retweeting something. Awesome. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.